Shalom. Welcome to the Christchurch Jerusalem Bible Study, where we wrestle with God's Word. For more information on the church, to listen to sermons, to contact us, or to make a gift, visit ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Brothers and sisters, ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to Christchurch Jerusalem. We are in the middle of Lent, well, kind of. For those that are fasting, I hope that's an easy one for you. Not too easy, but there's a real spiritual discipline to this uh, as we're getting ourselves ready for Holy Week and Resurrection Sunday, which is just fantastic. And Passover is coming as well. So, Hag Samer, Le Chag Purim. It's actually uh, Erev Purim tonight. And uh, though we are wrestling with the uh, scriptures in Leviticus, we can also mention that God's hand though sometimes unseen, is always present as he defends his people and us as part of the commonwealth of Israel. And for that, we are most truly grateful. Uh, The Spirit is present. It's present with me. It's present with you guys. And our brother uh, Shimshon is going to lead us in prayer as we begin our studies. Our Father, we thank you. We hallow your holy name. We pray, O God, as we go through your word, that you open our eyes, that we may perceive the mysteries and the hidden things of your Torah that you may come to us as healing, as um, instructions to bring us nearer to you, as to learn about the covenant that will draw near to you truly with our hearts and spirit and in truth in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, brother. Okay, as is our tradition, we read a summary from last week. We actually finished chapter 16, so it kind of includes a little bit of an overview. Uh, For those listening online, you can download the attachment from the CMJ website. Okay, summary from Leviticus 16, 19 to 34. Now, throughout Leviticus, God has been giving the Israelites very specific instruction for the appropriate worship within the tabernacle. And we have noticed that Leviticus 1 verse 2 has a strange word order, which suggests that the primary sacrifice of an Israelite is actually of themselves before they select a grain, an animal or a grain to offer to the Lord. Chapter 16 has been about the ritual service on the Day of Atonements, of which multiple atonements are made for the altar, the Holy of Holies, the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant, the high priest and his family, as well as the Israelite community. Later rabbis will comment on the nature of sacrifices in general saying, if God truly wanted sacrifices, then he would have asked the angels of heaven to bring him burnt offerings. Sacrifices, then, are something that humans do. And in this chapter, they are directed for atonement with a live goat to carry the sins of the people away to Azazel and to the desert. God instructs the Israelites that this should be a lasting ordinance, a forever law, on a particular day, the tenth month of the, the tenth day of the seventh month. What does a lasting ordinance mean in the context of the later covenants? The next covenant recorded in the Torah is the covenant of peace with the household of Pinchas in Numbers 25, 12 to 13. Does this later covenant abrogate the previous one? And the answer to this question is no. The same question and answers are given to the covenant. Joshua makes at Shechem in Joshua 24, and the Davidic covenant with King David. The pattern is the same. 
Later covenants do not abrogate the previous covenant. Thus, when we come to the new covenant, which is made with the house of Israel and Judah, the Torah will be written on the hearts of man. Within the Torah is, of course, Leviticus and Yom Kippur. The nature of the lasting ordinance gets even more complicated when we consider that the tabernacle at Shiloh was destroyed by the Philistines. It was thus ceasing the sacrificial ritual while in Babylon. So the, the sacrificial ritual in that place. Later, the first temple was destroyed, again ceasing the sacrificial ritual while in Babylon. And by the establishment of the second temple, the Holy of Holies was actually empty with no Ark of the Covenant. Thus, the high priest could not bring the required blood to sprinkle on the ark, as there was no such thing. Nor could he meet God in the cloud above the atonement cover, as again, there was no such thing. Jesus himself, as described in the Gospels, was constantly in the temple, with its empty holy of holies and no presence of the Shekhinah. Yet, he still referred to the temple as his father's house. These incidences and periods of time with no ritual gave the Jewish people impetus to exegete and think through the meaning, role, and application of sacrifices. Sacrifices in and of themselves are not bad. How could they be? Because they are directed by God to perform. Rather, the most important sacrifice to God was of ourselves, the broken spirit and the contrite heart. The epistle to the Hebrews likewise declares that the temple ritual was disappearing and fading away, an allusion to the coming destruction of the second temple, which is different from being abrogated. God instructs the Israelites, as well as the foreigners living within Israel, to afflict their souls. Exactly what that means is open to interpretation. It has come to mean uh, fasting from food and drink, intimacy with spouses, and extended times of prayer and repentance. The body is connected with the soul, since at creation, Adam was a body without life until the Lord breathed into him, and Adam became a soul, a nephesh. Jeremiah 32, 41 notes that God himself has a soul. How this is connected to a body, in the Lord's case, is unclear, but is perhaps connected to the Messiah in some way. Afflicting the soul meant also afflicting the body in some capacity, hence the fasting. However, what is done in the body as a result of the soul must not be devoid from the heart. Isaiah 58 reminds us that true fasting includes care and concern for the poor and not self-centered inward-looking ritual. Who are these strangers who dwell among the Israelites in this case? These are the Gentiles who reside in the land. Those close to Israel are thus bound to these laws for Yom Kippur as well. These instructions were important for the Lord himself declares in verse 30 that when then you will be clean before the Lord from all your sins. This is from the ESV version. As there is no punctuation in the Hebrew text, an implied comma in our English or German or whatever Bible we've got, an implied comma or a period can seriously affect the interpretation. Now, the interpretation of the above verse construction of the ESV implies that only those sins committed before God are cleansed. Note the wording is cleansed, 
and not forgiven. In other words, sins against another person could not be made right by this ritual act on Yom Kippur. This is actually reflected in the Mishnah. What's the Mishnah? It's early uh, Jewish exegesis, very early, sometimes about 100 years prior to Jesus and sometimes up to about 200 after. For transgressions that are between man and God, the Day of Atonement affects atonement. But for tr tr transgressions between man and man, the Day of Atonement does not affect atonement. And this is echoed in the teachings of Jesus when he says, if you are offering your guilt at the, or your gift at the altar, that's in the temple, by the way, with an empty holy of holies, and you there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift, Matthew 5. Jesus also taught that we have the power to forgive people's sins and also to not forgive, John 20. And in the Lord's Prayer, forgiveness was conditional to our own acts of forgiveness, Matthew 6. All that in relation to the forgiveness provided by the death and resurrection of Jesus. And this makes for another long and interesting discussion. Another time. In summary, then, the Lord provides detailed instructions for ritual worship. These rituals and sacrifices have meaning and value. Sacrifices of animal or grains should not be removed from the intention of the heart of the worshipper. The relationships between man and God and man and man are both vitally important. These relationships endure even when the temple ritual does not. Sacrifices always begin with ourselves before we bring anything, including praise, before the Lord, which also endures forever. And we now move on to chapter 17. So we now read 17, Leviticus 17 from, um, this is my ESV version. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel and say to them, this is the thing that the Lord has commanded. If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man. He has shed blood and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifice and that to bring their sacrifices that they may, that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priest shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they whore. This shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generation. And you shall say to them, any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them eats a new blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood. 
and I've given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls. For it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore, I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature. The life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats of it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is a native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes, bathe in top in water, and be unclean until the evening, and then shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe, his flesh shall bear his iniquity. Right. Interesting little passage. There's a few interesting little verses there to think about. Okay. Um, so, starting from our usual tradition, based on a literal reading of the text, the Peshat, what is it there that jumps out where you go, hang on a second, uh, haven't heard that before, or is there something there you always hear and therefore, because we often always hear it, sometimes we've, we've uh, become rote in our, in our personal interpretation. We just leap to an interpretation. Aaron, I think for me, the, um, of course, the life is in the blood, but uh, another one is the goat, the goat demons that they were sacrificing to, because chapter one to sixteen, it all it talks about the proper place of worship and the proper place of sacrifice, ritual impurity. It talks about how you should the the, the dealing, handling of the blood and the application to the resident alien. So it, it it's already talked about that in chapters one to sixteen. We've already seen those issues, um, but I think this is kind of interesting because it's almost like a connector between chapters 1 to 16 and then 18 to 20, which talks about sexual immorality and the, the, the cult practices to Moloch. So for me, it seems like it's kind of like a, a, a smooth transition between the first chapters that I have already talked about, the blood and, and, and impurities and, and the proper place to worship. Again, it's, a, it's like a condensation of that. And then it talks about the, the demon worship and then that brings us into the next chapters, which is going to issue all of that sort of prostitution and illicit, illicit sacrificing to, and the children sacrifice. Okay. You got any idea who the goat demons are? <laughs> Yvonne, do you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, is that all that pan stuff? Yeah. Is Sharon here? Maybe she knows. No, she's not here at the moment. Hey, buddy. How is <laughs> Sorry, I'm late. I was at the Western Bowl. Yeah, we heard basking in the in prayers and <laughs> I was praying for my friends. Yeah, Shalom. Did we finish reading the chapter, Reverend? Yeah, we're just starting. Uh, yes, okay. So no, I'm not sure, Aaron. Yeah, it, could, it wouldn't be any of the pan worship in the north from Caesarea Philippi. They've, they've been doing this in the desert. Remember, we're in the desert. But it's interesting that the the the. The, where does the idea of sacrifices come from, even in the beginning, right? You know, this, this whole discussion that, like, Leviticus 16, in fact, all of Leviticus has been sort of um, not just building to, but always sitting in the backdrop is, 
after this destruction of the various temples and the destruction of the tabernacle, when you don't have access to make a sacrifice, you've got lots of time to start thinking about and reflecting on what really was their value and, and, and what, what do they do or, and what don't they do when they're not there and things like that. And then you begin to have a, a, a closer look at the text to try and figure out uh, um, how you might exegete that. Like, for example, when King David ran away from Saul and he was hiding out with the Philistines, what could he not do? The sacrifice. Right. You know, and yet he pens, you know, the, uh, the, what you desire is a, is a clean heart and a, and a contrite spirit. And if you, if you also remember the Shaul who sacrificed at the wrong time, it wasn't good. Yes, that's also true. So there's a lot of theological interest, uh, uh, things to, to learn from ritual, right ritual, uh, appointed times, right places. But at the same time, when you don't have them, that doesn't mean you're, you know, you're, uh, your salvation is suddenly dependent upon a building because it's, uh, it's not Shimshon. You've got your hand raised. Yes. Um, one thing that's um, very, very interesting in this um, um, chapter is uh, verse 11, which says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I've assigned it to you for making a special for your lives upon the altar. Um, um, the, the blood, the, the, the temple is a very bloody place. If you see the activities that goes on there, um, you see at the altar, they, they, take, they take some of the blood and dash it on the altar. And in fact, um, at Mount Sinai, um, Moses take some of the blood and pour it on the altar and take the rest of the blood and pour it on the people. So, and pour it all, and, and Deuteronomy, we read that he also poured it on the, on the Sephar Abrit, on the, on the covenant, yeah. And so everything becomes bloody. And um, yeah, it's saying that the life of the, in fact, in the Hebrew, it, it didn't say life, it says nefesh. Um, um, the nefesh habasha, that means the soul of the flesh, it's in the blood, you know. It's um, it's it's a very it's a very deep thing because with this soul, um, we 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 kind of exercise our our our, our sorriness for what we have done wrong, and also with the soul of these animals or the soul of these things, we we draw near to God. It's it's it makes it very very interesting when we think about the blood and the sacrifices in that way. That is actually source of um, flesh that is actually being used on our behalf. Cool. Thank you. It's a it's a it's a good point to to notice that the the Hebrew word, as Shimshon said, is nefesh, and it's the and that connection that we saw afflict your nefesh, afflict your soul in Leviticus 16, and that whole connection that Adam had a body at creation, but it didn't move. It needed a nefesh, needed a needed something, needed that connection, and and here in this in this chapter, as Shimshon points out, the the nefesh and the body they're connected through the blood. So the blood becomes incredibly important, and uh, and is used uh, for atonement and uh, not for eating. So I'll I'll give you what I thought <clears throat> when I read the the passage for the first time. I uh, read it and I thought, hang on, are you telling me that every single piece of meat that I have to eat in my entire life has to go to the tabernacle first? Oh, my word. 
how does that work in real life? And um, so what do you think, guys? <laughs> Moti, you had, a, you had a question? No, but it was uh, for, a, for that time, not for eternity. So while they were at the Bamid Bar, they somehow had to do that. And we will see it in uh, soon, I think, in chapter uh, verse four or something like that. Yes, because there's a, um, a long rabbinic debate that, that tries to figure out, um, is this still applicable? Do you still have yeah. to do it? Um, did it actually really happen? You know, what were the theological things? And, and we'll get to it when we... When we, when we... Yes, correct, correct, yeah. Okay, all right, let's have a, have a look at the, uh, the text. Okay, so the Lord says to Moses, and um, this is one of those interesting, again, little introductions to a chapter. Sometimes the Lord speaks to Moses. Sometimes the Lord speaks to Moses and Aaron. Rarely does the Lord speak to Aaron. And, um, and it always is strange when you think, okay, God, why do you have to use Moses as an intermediary? Why can't you just call Aaron and talk to him? He's the one that's actually going to physically do this. But the Lord says to Moses, go speak to Aaron and, um, and his sons. Okay, At this point, he's only got two left. Uh, and to all the Israelites and say to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Okay, It's not from me. Okay, This is actually something from the Lord himself. Any Israelite who sacrifices an ox, lamb, goat in the camp or outside of it, instead of bringing it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to present it as an offering to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, that person is considered guilty of bloodshed. They have shed blood and they have to be cut off from their people. Wow. wow. I know. You go, oh, my gosh, look, I was just hungry. All I was doing was having a wedding party, and now suddenly I've been kicked out of the community. What's going on, guys? What do you think is uh, the issue at stake? Help me out here, Moti. What's going on? Rabbi <laughs> Shimshu, <laughs> you have a hand raised, don't you? Or maybe you forgot it. Uh, yeah, I forgot it. Um, it was a former hand raised. Um, but let me just throw in something there. Um, you know, it, it talks about the old house of Israel. And um, just like Modi mentioned earlier on, and he also mentioned the camp. So this is for the Bamidbar when they were in the wilderness. And um, this is the protocol of how they will live in the wilderness. But for, for God to say that everyone that kills an animal, they should always bring it to the altar because... By this, you draw near, and you remember that um, the people, they just finished the tabernacle in, um, in the book of um, Shemot, in the book of Exodus. And a chapter and a half later, they don't move away from the place where they are in Sinai. They don't move. They're still in the same place. And so in Numbers, God tells to them that you have dwelt on this mountain for too long. So now you've got to move. So for a chapter and a half, they were learning how to draw near to God, how to leave this holiness code. And um, it was, was very, I, I think it become very expedient that everyone that sacrificed animal or kill animal to eat, begin to learn how to use it to draw near to God as a community so that um, when they move into the land, it becomes part and parcel of them. Here's a verse in my translation, Rabbi Shimshon, it says, uh, he shall be counted for that man as blood he has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off his among people. That means as though he had shed 
human blood, but he's not shedding a human blood, but it's like it. You know what I mean? It's like, it's super important. God is trying to tell us something here. Does anybody have an idea of what God is trying to tell us? That the, the animal um, soul is, is um, also as important as the human soul? Yeah, there's maybe Mahdi, I don't know, um, just a few verses down, he talks about uh, sacrificing to like this this other goat, uh, satyr or whatever, these these demons in the wilderness. Could this be, you know, this concept of avoiding uh, idolatry by sacrificing other places to other, other gods, uh, you know, other, you know, demon gods or whatever, and, and that God wants all of it for him and shares no glory with anyone else, any other idol or, or as it yeah. says soon, soon later. I mean, that's why the, the concept of no syncretism just to God, not to a beast, not to an animal, not to you, how you, you know, it was in the past to uh, the, 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 the calf, it needs to be to me. And uh, maybe he's trying to emphasize that here. Yes. I can say something about it. If it's okay. Please. So, According to the rabbinic tradition and some books such as Sefer Achina, it's all about the 313 commandments, God gives us permission to slaughter or kill an animal under two situations. First, to eat for food or for your health benefits, or, I mean, three situations, sorry, or to bring peace, you know, Kurban Shalomim, we have already learned about it. But here, if you kill an animal without a reason, it is as bad as you kill somebody as a human blood. It's, it's like shedding a human blood. In this case, there were Israelites in the wilderness. They were slaughtering these animals for those demon spirits, Satan, whatever you call it. Or they were just thinking that they were doing the right tradition without the Kohen or outside of the camp because it should be done in the Mishkan mm -hmm. and with the Kohen. So God tells them that if you don't do it in order which I am commanding you, you are just shedding human blood and you are basically, instead of coming to me, you are going away from me, committing sin, shedding blood as you are shedding a human blood. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the God gives us permission to kill animals. Okay, now my, my apologies if I've just offended all the vegans uh, who have been listening or my, who might even be present. However, um, the biblical text does tell us that once the floodwaters have receded, the diet of humans uh, is enlarged to include animals. But the, the, what's going on here, I think, as we're being reflected by what, what Moti is, is discussing, is God, when he made the world, it was good. He, he likes all of his creation, and that includes everything that he made. And while it's killing, well, the animals are there for, for some positive things. Clothing, their skins, your dwellings, your, uh, you can use them for, for medicines and things like that, uh, and food and offerings. And there's, there's a lot of good uses for an animal. Uh, but, if you, but there's also the possibility to miss use the animals you can't do that as well that includes false worship just killing animals just because you you think that's a really good thing um and that's inappropriate 
But Answer. yes, I would like to add something to what you say, Reverend. But in this chapter, in this situation, God gives you permission to eat the animal if you bring it as a shilomim offering. You cannot just say, oh, I'm hungry, let me slaughter this sheep and eat it. You cannot do that. While mm -hmm. they were at the Bamitwal, or it is still a discussion, as Reverend said, to this day, that they had to bring it as a shilomim offering. You remember from our studies that the shilomim offering, the, the fat and some other parts of the animal were burned, and the remaining uh, meal were eaten with the guy and his family and friends. So in this case, you have to bring it to the Kohen anyways. If you want, you're hungry, you want to have a barbecue party, you have to bring it as a shilomim offering, a peace offering. You cannot just go and slaughter it. And, 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 so, and, juxtap and, and aligned with that is what Shimshon said, that here in the desert, you get this, this opportunity, the positive side is to get close to God, that you're bringing in your peace offering, you're with the Lord, you're going to eat, you are going to eat. You might even eat with your friends, but you'll also share it with the Kohanim, they'll get their portion. And, uh, and so there's a, a, lot more, a, lot, a lot more wider theological and sociological community thing going on than just simply, I'm hungry and I will now kill and eat. Because this text is in the Torah, and even though we've been discussing it as been, it's applied for in the wilderness, at the time of Jesus and after, rabbis are still having this discussion. Can we or can we not eat meat that isn't actually sacrificed or brought before the Lord? And so you have Rabbi Akiva. You ever, everybody heard of Rabbi Akiva? Okay, he's a generation after Yeshua, okay? It's like 100 years after Yeshua, so several generations actually. And he's still saying, well, he's having a debate with a guy called um, Rabbi Ishmael. There's not many rabbis called that, okay? But a couple hundred years after Jesus, there still were. It was still a good, it was still a good name, okay? Uh, anyway, so these two guys are having a discussion, and Rabbi Ishmael, he's taken the hard line, okay? He's gone the whole Shammai school saying, no, you can't eat anything unless it's come from the temple. So if you happen to live in the Galilee, you are a vegetarian. Right. Okay. Lucky you. Um, although I've got a feeling fish are okay. So, you know, fish on Fridays and all that stuff, you can still do that. Um, but, but Rabbi Ishmael was like, no, you can't have it. And Rabbi Akiva was like, no, that's not what that means. Uh, let me just read what he said. Rabbi Akiva argued that it was permissible to kill, to kill food away from the altar. Um, but Rabbi Ishmael argued that it was not permissible. And I'll find the, the quote for you in the, in the, notes next time um rabbi akiva was from the galilee right yes he was from the galilee yeah so you can see where it's coming from okay um and uh but what what the conclusion is but in their debate there was no conclusion and i know that sometimes irritates us when we get these rabbinic debates in the talmud and they go so what was the answer but there isn't one. They're just letting you know there's this debate going on. We've got it in the Torah. It's got to mean something. So every generation is reading this, is discussing it, is trying to get to the source and take out the juice. You know, just like Shimshon said, this helps you draw close to the Lord. Imagine if we were doing that today. Okay? You know, every time you got down to eat, you said, right, let's head off and um, go, see, go see Jesus. And, uh, you know, um, not that we would do that, but... Uh, what a different world that would be. Okay. All right. Um, 
Janet, you've got a hand raised. Janet from Canada. Yeah, just a thought here. I don't know if it's connected. Is there sort of a sense now that this is moved, that, that we try to, that, that every part of our life should be sanctified so that <clears throat> particularly now, I mean, when, when you eat, you, 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 you sancti- you're, you're taking wine, you're taking bread. I'm talking about the Jewish traditions now. That that you always you always make some connection to the Lord, uh, you know, taking a piece of fruit or so on. This this whole aspect of you you what you have or what you do is an act of well, I could say worship. An act of worship. Okay. Yeah. So you know, we we sort of I mean, it says somewhere in Proverbs. I mean, the sort of the glutton just takes food and doesn't even think about God, and yet. You know, our, our activity is, is all to draw us near to God. And, um, yeah, I, I just sort of take that from there. Um, and, and the as- other aspect is I don't know if we've run into it so far in Leviticus. That, I mean, it's so serious to be cut off from, your pe- from among the people. What did it mean to be cut off at this point? If you, if you did this and it's recognized, what? I mean, it's pretty serious to be cut off. You got to sort of stay and live with people still, but what does it mean to be cut off? Yeah, physically cutting him off. <laughs> Just kidding. There, there, there. Actually, that's that's funny, but at the same time, there were some interpretations that suggested that, and uh, so I'll see if I can find them. But what you're bringing in, Janet, is a is a. That in the ancient world and in the in, in like many African nations today and in Asian nations, there is a culture of community more than there is in the West, where we have a bit a bit more of a culture of individualism. That's a generalization, I know, and I freely admit it. But uh, it's also true that there is, as a general generalization, a little bit more of individualism occurring in the in the West. So it was a really big deal to be separated from family, from community, from God. Yes. Because it's not just being kicked out from mum and dad's house. It's, it's I don't have access to the divine now. You know, what's going to happen to me later? There's a, there's a lot, lot that goes uh, in there. So um, like, you know, imagine when you know, Joseph is down a well being sold to Egyptians uh, and he's heading off down to Egypt. You know, he's, losing, he's losing everything. Right, you know, God, uh, his family, his future, you know, his whole world is just collapsing around him. It's, it's quite horrible. Can I add something to that to answer uh, Janet's question? And Janet, remember, they are in the wilderness, in the desert. So, like, imagine you left a country, you're all together, camping together, you're in the middle of nowhere, and they're just cutting you out of the community. Where would you go? There's no navigation. They probably wouldn't say, oh, let me go and see Negev, since I am being cut out of the community. It, wasn't, it definitely wasn't a good thing. It was the biggest warning of that time. So like excommunicating, uh, uh, in the Christian world, it's like that, right? Excommunicating. Mm-hmm. From- like excommunication, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. excommunication. Yeah. Yeah. And in the, and in the uh, traditional world, that meant if you were excommunicated from the church, it means you were never going to get to heaven. So it had, you know, massive theological implications as well. Not just, you know, now I can't see mum and dad. It was a big, it was a really big deal. Uh, Kate from Scotland. 
Um, it, it's it's a simple question because I, I might have missed something, but when we talk about animals and bringing them to the temple, is it is there anything to say which kind of animals you can eat and can't eat? Is this a way of identifying that that your eating of an animal has integrity? It's the right animals to eat because you know we are told that there are animals that we shouldn't eat. And I wondered if that was part of, you must take it to make sure as well that you're not just eating rats or foxes or whatever. It it's a silly be. question, I think. No, but. it's not silly. And remember, there are always multiple levels and streams of interpretation and help. And so what you just described probably is also quite true. This is one way for the priests to keep an eye that people are actually eating kosher animals. Because they would have noticed, what is this yeah. you brought to me? You know, I brought a camel. You can't eat camel. Take yeah. that back. <laughs> I can't put it back. It's dead now. You know, um, but, uh, but, but yes, the, the Israelites would begin to learn from their priests. Oh, actually, this is actually what's acceptable. This is actually what's not acceptable. Um, and they're also learning value. Right? The learning value of, of, of you know, meat. We, we, we live in a, in, a, in, a, in a society that eats a lot of meat now. <laughs> uh, we grow it all the time. We're really good at it. We've got it all nicely prepackaged. Uh, and um, 200 years ago, that was not the case, even less so thousands of years ago. So it was um, the learning value of these, these animals. Shimshan. Yeah. Um, you, we can see towards our text today, um, when you follow from, um, from the book of Leviticus, um, you see that in Leviticus 11, we began to talk about the kosher animals, and what you can eat and what you cannot eat, and continue to build towards this, um, this text that we're dealing with today. But when you go to Deuteronomy, you will notice one thing that is very interesting in, um, in, in chapter 12. It says, I will just read it. It says, when the Lord your God expands your territory as he has promised and you crave meat and say, I want to eat meat, you may eat it wherever you want, you know? And it says, if the place where the Lord your God chooses to put his name is too far for you, then you may slaughter any of the herd or the flocks that he has given to you as I have commanded you, and you may eat it within your gates, wherever you want, you know? But again, it says that when you have entered your territory in, in Deuteronomy, but here it was referring to the camp. There are two different um, conditions that are being given here. And you can understand that in the camp, they needed to, to really get it right. Because um, like we mentioned, um, like um, Aaron just mentioned, somebody might be bringing the, the wrong um, animal because it's not kosher. And these rules have just been introduced to them. Um, most probably, this will be a learning time for them. And um, like I mentioned earlier on, they spent a great deal of time since Exodus before um, they started living in, um, in the book of Numbers. I mean, throughout Exodus and Leviticus, they were in the same place. They never moved out from the same place in the book of Levit Leviticus. So they were learning. And I see this part of the learning system. Then also to mention about being cut out from God's people, um, like we say in the, like you mentioned, Aaron, if once you are deflocked from a um, church community, it's, it's, it's a big deal in, in ancient time. In fact, um, during the time when Pope was in charge, uh, if you are deflocked, that means your whole nation or community is, is, is canceled from heaven. That's how it was believed then. So 
um, and, and it was very powerful for, for them to have that kind of um, theology sown into people. But um, I read from a rabbi um, in a midrash that when he speaks about being cut off from, um, from God's people, is that within some time, your generation will not be with God's people anymore. That your generations will, will one day just leave the, the, the place of God, they will start worshiping idols and everything because of your actions that you have done now. When he says you shall be cut off and, um, from God's people, that means in the future, your, your family or your descendant will not be part of God's people. And that's how it was explained there. Which rabbi is um, I, I, would, I would try and look for it. Um, it's something I read some time, a very long time ago. Yeah, but I'll try and look for it and share it with you. Yeah, thank you. I also would try and look for that, Chintron, because that's actually an interesting um, midrash, and it reflects again on some of the things we talked about, that um, it, when Aaron had to, had to atone for his household, that generational merit has effect, both positive and negative. And so we should always take seriously the actions we have today because they can actually affect our families that are alive with us, obviously. They also affect um, the, the subsequent generations. And we quoted various Bible verses that, that, that uh, can reflect that. And uh, so, yeah, very powerful. Um, Yvonne, hand raised. Brazil. Uh, I'm just, uh, thinking about uh, the imagery on being cut off and... Um... I'm thinking Adam and Eve were, were cut off from paradise. Uh, and then and then imagine you having access to all of that, being being cut off from that in a sense, banished. And then this child that you bear, you know, has just killed another of your child, your other only child. And now this child is being banished and cut off. I mean, I can't imagine as a mother the heart of 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 Heva of Eve to to see this happening in her own family. It also the the idea of being banished to the wilderness it comes to mind Ishmael and and Hagar and how Sarah and she really I mean she did that offense that was so offensive and then by that her you know this this uh banishment of um Ishmael of course because of the promised seed but then it also uh, remind. I was looking at this verse, and it's it just caught my attention that it's not only being cut off in verse eight at the bottom. It also says verse ten, not only being cut off uh, from the people, but he God will literally. I will set my face, my my panim against this person, and so there's this banishment, and there's this this. Um, God setting his face against that person. It reminds me of Ezekiel. There's a passage that says, and I will, it's talking about the idolatrous elders and how they're condemned. I will set my face against that man. I will make him a sign and a byword and cut him off from the midst of my people. And you shall know that I'm the Lord. So it's, it's very serious. It's the cutting off and the turning away of God's face. And that's numbers, right? He either sets his face for you, right? He blesses you and he's looking and he's setting his face, the panim for you, or he turns his back against you. So it's very, very serious. It's very scary. The blood is, is a big deal. As we've said, blood is everywhere. It, um, it been, it's obviously been used inappropriately in other nations. Um, and when the and so what what what's going on 
as um, Shimshon and a few others have mentioned, that they're being trained in the wilderness. In, in English, we call it formation. <laughs> when someone's being prepared for something, particularly like ministry, you say he is undergoing formation. And formation could be a whole gambit of things. It could be study. It could be practical work. It could be servanthood and service. It could be um, quiet oh, contemplation, you know, you know, and trapped inside a monastery. All these kinds of things that form you and prepare you um, to actually enter the land of Israel to actually become the people of God. And uh, that's actually a good thing. Teresa, did I see you had a hand raised earlier before? No? Yes, I did. But then somebody else suggested it. I was going to ah. say it's like the concept of um, excommunication. Yep. Yep. Which is so, pretty um, Sorry, Teresa. Yeah. I said it. Yeah. Well, right. there you see, you're stepping out of your area. <laughs> <laughs> Snatching it from me, Motti. Sorry. I'll forgive you. It's all right. It's not I read, I read your mind. So that's the power I have when I am in Yerushalayim. So. As long as somebody said it, that's all that matters because there is a parallel. That, that's what I can see anyway. <laughs> so moving on to verse 5. So after um, this idea of excommunication and cutting off, um, God gives a reason as to why we're starting to do this. Because now this is to end the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field. I mean, they're killing this stuff wherever they want. And, um, and, and they may bring them to the Lord. This is this idea of let's get close to God. So there's a positive spin to this command. You know, there's a, there's a way to view the command like, oh, it's terrible if I want anything. I have to journey to the middle of the camp and, and go see a priest. Or you could look at it positively. It's like, wow, I'm actually going to spend some time with God now. I can, this is something that's very positive for me and my family. In fact, I'm going to bring all my family to this event because of this. So we go to the priest at the entrance of the tent of meeting and sacrifice them. And, and Moti's mentioned this before. It's a particular type of sacrifice, which is a peace offering. It's a shlemim offering. And um, in the past, the, the peace offering has multiple levels. It doesn't only just make peace between you and God, makes peace between you and your fellow man, but it has multiple levels. It even makes peace between heavens and heaven and earth and people who aren't even paying attention. There's lots of uh, theological implications with this, is that even your most common action of just eating can be turned into a holy moment, which is still done today in the Jewish world and to some degree also in the Christian world, where we always bless the Lord every time we eat or drink. We always make sure that uh, when we gather and food is presented, that uh, we, we say a bracha, a blessing. And um, it's not that we um, bless God to eat. It's that we eat so that we can bless God. <laughs> Does that make sense? Okay. That we have been given the, the gift of being able to eat and that will make us bless the Lord. So uh, we've decided that in the, in the desert, we're not going to go sac eat everywhere, even though, in, as Shimshon's pointed out, Deuteronomy says you can. Once you're in the land, okay, gonna be a, once you've actually formed yourself, and, uh, and so I think we can all agree with Rabbi Akiva, you know, eat wherever you like. And uh, the priest shall throw. Now we start doing the blood thing again. We show um, everybody how much blood we throw around. 
um, will throw the blood on the altar and, and of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, burn the fat for a pleasing aroma. Fat is, is something that belongs to God, and, uh, and he gets that smell. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons after whom they haul. So here you have this very strange, like hasn't, ha hasn't come out before. All of a sudden we're acknowledging that somewhere along in the past, maybe not even the too distant past, there was actually this um, worship of uh, other spirits. Uh, any idea? Multi, did, when, we, when you and I were having a discussion about this, did, did, uh, where the, where, did we have a rabbi who thought he knew who these demon, goat demons were? Talking about Rambam and also Ibn Ezra, it's talking about the Seirim, the demon beings that uh, some Jews used to practice uh, korbanot for, for them. But also at the same time, Rambam says that every single uh, korban that was not slaughtered in the Mishkan with the Kohen was to Seirim, to demon beings. So it was that it's such a big sin. So if you don't do it in order, as God has commanded you, that means you are basically slaughtering it to Seirim, to demon beings, even though you think that oh, I'm doing something good for God, but you're not. Does anyone know uh, uh, there's, a, there's a kind of like a parallel thought between offering food Idols and demons in the New Testament. Does anyone know where that's from? It's in Corinthians. So in Corinthians, you have three chapters where Paul is wrestling with Gentiles. Okay. Yeah. The question, can we eat meat that's actually sacrificed to an idol? Right. And you have all this, he, he goes this, this long theological point, and sometimes it seems like he's switching his side where he says, you know, the, 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 the idols aren't real. There's nothing actually really there. You know, it doesn't matter. And then he turns around and he says, but listen, yeah. even though they're not real, behind them are demons. Yeah. It's like X, X15. It's one of those that they're not well, supposed to. Yeah, you can't. It's forbidden from blood in X15 as well, which is going to show up yeah. also here. His life is in the blood. And, mm -hmm. um, and, and Paul's, Paul's thought is, is very, very much similar to what's going on here. Anything outside of God can, probably does, have a touch of the demonic attached to it. And so, therefore, we should always be careful when um, approaching anything that's, uh, that's, that's not holy. And that doesn't mean everything's evil, that, you know, newspapers aren't inherently evil and um, the television isn't inherently evil, but uh, there is a God of this age and he has his legions as well. So the, some Israelites as, uh, and some Jews were also offering to these, these demons, and they have to stop. And uh, the, um, it's described as um, an incestuous relationship with a, with a prostitute, okay? It's uh, described in a very negative, very um, an actual a sexual overtone. But um, a, lot of, a lot of cultic practices in the ancient world often involved um, uh, prostitutes, temple prostitutes. Um, and uh, this had already occurred with the Israelites at the um, Golden Cow, that, that it says that um, Israel got up and uh, to play 
with the implication that some inappropriate activity was also, also going on. So this has to stop. So we're not going to do that. This should be a statute forever throughout in, in their generations. Uh, what's the what's the statute forever? You don't worship demons. <laughs> All right. It's a, it, only God, God alone, and he's the one that we draw close to. And you shall say to them, to our little fellow Israelites, anyone of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourn amongst them. Once again, the, the gerim are at, included with the house of Israel, the commonwealth of Israel. There's this Gentile attachment to the holy people. And we haven't even entered the land of Israel yet. Okay? Um, even though here you could probably say that there's a future sort of uh, prophetic view that Israel being a light to the nations will eventually attract the nations. But it's also true literally and physically that during the Exodus, we've also got lots of Egyptians and, and non-Israelites who are now with us because they have actually seen the power of God and they're actually embracing this moralistic tradition. No one's had a Torah like this before. Um, and so these strangers among them who offers a burnt offering, so these strangers are, are actually worshippers of the Lord. Okay, They are God-fearers and they are engaged in uh, offering uh, the Olah and the uh, zvachim, the uh, sacrifices. Um, if he doesn't do it to the, uh, bring it to the, the tent of meeting, then he is also cut off. So he is treated exactly the same. Yes. He gets the same opportunities to, get, to come close to the Lord. Right? The Israelite gets an opportunity to come close to the Lord. So does the non-Jew. That's kind of nice. But at the same time, he also has to uh, embrace the obligations and the consequences that if I happen to be wanting to run around and do my own thing and uh, offend the Lord by worshipping demons, then... It's uh, uh, the, the blood's on my hands. Moti, you got a comment on that one? Yes, uh, thank you, Reverend. Here, uh, I would like to say that even though this gerting, it's not mentioned in verses from 3 to 7 about uh, slaughtering animals in open field, it's still applied to them. Uh, and here there is a discussion in Judaism. Some rabbis say that this commandment applies to Ger Sedek, someone who converted to Judaism, and also to Ger Toshav, a foreigner that living among them. So there's a, uh, the, the rabbis are divided. So some say that it's applied to both of them. Others say, no, it's only applied to Ger Sedek. Since the text just says Ger, I think it applies to both of them. Ger Sedek okay. with Ger Toshav. That means Ger, a Ger who converted to Judaism, and also the Ger, Toshal, who just lives with the Jews or among Jews. So basically, it's applied to both of them. And it's, it still applies to today. That means a Ger, a non-Jew who lives in the Eretz Israel, should obey the biblical law. And also the Ger who lives in the Jewish neighborhood, in Shtadil, we say in Yiddish, should obey the law too because he is living among them. It doesn't say living in your city. It doesn't say that. It says sojourning among you or living among you. It depends on the translation you have. So basically, if you live in a Jewish neighborhood, watch out. So you better not leave there. Go and live somewhere else. Don't go to yeah. Stafford Hill, Teresa. Yeah. Otherwise, you will need to keep Shabbos. Well, you're All absolutely right. right. Yes. And what about Aaron, where he's living then? Here's yeah. the Shomer Shabbat. Don't miss out. Finished. 
That's right. So it is a good thing. Gentiles have access to the Lord. Yeah. What a blessing that is. Okay. Yeah, it's a sign here, very early sign. Very early sign. Because that's the thing. We've mentioned it a few times. It has always been God's plan to have Jews and Gentiles together. Always. And he's always making allowances for this. It's only us that put up walls. Always, always, always. Correct. We're the ones always putting up walls. And Paul comes along and says, okay, look, that's it. Walls, since the Messiah, all walls have come down, right? There's no more walls for us. At that time, God had to deal with the Jews first. You might ask why God didn't just tell them, okay, live all together. So first he had to prepare them, an, an example nation. Yep. So he was just dealing with them, and, you know, it took forever. It still takes time for them. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're in formation. Yeah. Just, to, just to add to the point that um, Aaron just made, that God from the inception always had both Jews and Gentiles in his mind. If we go to Isaiah 56, we see it written there in, in black and white, where Isaiah is speaking, I, I just read from verse 2. He says, Up is the man who does this, the man who holds fast to it, who keeps the Shabbat and does not profane it, and who stays his hand away from doing any evil. Of course, at this point in time, we say, oh, he's speaking to the Jews. Then you go to the next verse, and it says, let not the foreigner, says, who has attached himself to Adonai, Adonai will keep me apart from his people, and let not the eunuch says I'm a wither tree. So it's, it's, it's very clear there, God saying that let not even the, 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 the residents, the foreigner, says that, no, God will set me apart. I have a different rule. I'm not a Jew. He said, no, let him not say that, because God expects that every one of us will be the same before him. Amen. So let's continue on with verse 10. This is now um, the laws against actually consuming blood. Okay. And, uh, and with, those, with the, uh, the hint, uh, not the hint, it's actually quite stated that life, the nefesh, the soul is connected to the body through, through the blood and therefore has value. If any one of the house of Israel or of the strangers who sojourns amongst them, so these laws are now applying to everybody. If we eat any blood, which in Acts 15 we are forbidden, okay, the, the rule is so important that you get to Acts 15 and, and Gentiles are not, still not allowed to eat blood. And as you said, Yvonne, something very, very powerful comes, the Lord's going to set his face against them. Not just cutting people off, but the Lord God himself, commander of the heavenly armies, is against you. And woe to any man that that fate befails them. And uh, they'll be cut off from amongst his people. Because for the life of the flesh is in the blood. The nephesh is in the blood. And I've given it for you. So this is a gift. God is giving this resource for a purpose. And it's not for consuming. Okay, It's to be able to put on the altar. Okay? And that's, So you can't just kill animals for fun. They're not sport. They have a task. They are for food. They are for worship. They are for health. They are for clothing. Uh, there's all kinds of things that you can use them for as part of our dominion. Um, uh, but, they, but, even, but, but when you have to still have to kill one, then you have to do it in the right way. And the, their blood can make atonement for our souls. Okay? And for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Now remember, just what we said in, in Leviticus 16, they make atonement, but atonement is not the same, although it is connected, as forgiveness. 
Because though we make atonement for the house of Israel, we still get the live goat. We still confess sins over him and we still send him away. And so, uh, so it, it, we have to always keep that in mind as well. Um, particularly because I've had this verse quoted at me many, many times. Okay. And also the other one, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins, you know, to say, oh my gosh, you know, Jews don't have a temple. They're obviously all toast. And, um, and you think, okay, well, uh, based on that literal reading, I, I can see why you think that. And then of course, that doesn't discuss or describe how, how any of the heroes of the Bible in between times when they didn't have a tabernacle, a temple, uh, a mishkan or access to um, uh, the temple, uh, when you're running away from your enemies like David or whether you're running away from um, the destroyed uh, Shiloh temple like Samuel or any of those other places or Daniel in captivity, none of them seemed to go, oh, my gosh, now I'm on my way to hell. Um, there was something bigger and broader, but it's still important because it's in the text that the blood makes atonement by life. Okay? Uh, blood belongs to God. At the end of the day, blood belongs to God. Animal blood, human blood. And um, it's and not fat. something that you can go and spill lightly. Also, the fat belongs to God. If you, if they, if you guys right. remember from our studies that God yeah. was always talking about the fat and the blood. Yes, I was making it. Blood and fat belong to the Lord. The land cries out when the blood is defiled on the land yes because because the nefesh is in the blood then there was that connection that blood can speak and you go and and so you end up with these traditions that um dead heroes um there they still spoke from the grave like abel and, uh, yeah. correct the blood of abel which is reflected in the book of hebrews um but particularly in the second temple period where they really personified that and they made and, and basically people saw them in the afterlife. They saw Abel and he's still bleeding and they saw other great heroes of the Lord and they were still um, uh, looking like they had been slain. Right. Uh, and which is exactly what you see in the book of Revelation. John looks into heaven and he says, oh, my gosh, I see the lamb as it had been slain. And you go, well, you know, if, if God's got this great glorified body, why does he still look like that then? You know, it's uh, all kinds of interesting thoughts. Um, and so because life was in the blood, because it was connected and that had a nefesh, then the nefesh didn't just disappear when someone died. It was still around. It, was still, uh, it could still speak and, and had um, a voice. And so the blood cried out from the earth. And, uh, and later on in, this, in, in a couple of more chapters, we're going to actually see how the earth responds to sin itself. Okay, that, that the earth itself is also conscious when blood falls on it and, and, and actually um, can react. And so now we have, therefore, I've said to the people of Israel, people of Israel, yes, and also those who are attached to the people of Israel, no person among you shall eat blood. Right? And that law continues through into Acts 15. And if it's in Acts 15, of course, that also means that it is applicable till this day right it's not like you go okay acts 15 was fine but um you know once we got to revelation 22 that was over and done with 
And uh, yeah, you know, we entered the second century. We became enlightened somehow. Um, we're still illegal to the Roman Empire, but that's okay. Blood's back on the table, boys. Um, nope, that that rule hasn't changed. Hasn't changed since Leviticus. Hasn't changed since the Book of Acts. Okay, blood still belongs to the Lord. And, uh, and neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. So it applies to us Gentiles. Okay. Now, that doesn't mean that we all have to have well-done steaks. Okay. It's, okay it's, that doesn't mean that um, you have to pour rock salt on every piece of animal flesh and, like, leach out yeah. uh, uh, everything that's, caught, that's tasty. Okay? I think what we're referring to is literally the practice of eating blood and uh, raw flesh and those kinds of things. Teresa from London. Oh, I was just going to say, um, so I don't have to travel over to North London to buy fresh kosher meat then. Well, it's expensive. Yeah. <laughs> no comment on that. Because <laughs> yeah. um, the, the, uh, we, have, we have taken... Um, this 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 idea of like what really is blood uh, to a pretty incredible degree because I used to work in a steakhouse yeah ran ran restaurants and 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 you know, we cook steaks in Australia Canada America and England and I got to tell you even a well done steak when you cut it juices still come out you know, it's um it's it's not really uh, the 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 issue isn't that um, you know, what, what really is trying to get is blood. blood. The enzymes and all those things that, that, that exist as blood, they're there and they stay there. Um, that's not the, the issue. The issue is at this day, people probably actually physically ate blood. It, um, and some cultures even today still do. The chorizo, it's like a blood sausage. That's very common yeah. in some places. But it is, it is not allowed in Judaism. That's why they cover the meat with salt. Yep. That's right. Rocky? Yeah, I just wanted to know if I can still kill rats. <laughs> kill them? Go right ahead, brother. <laughs> you, uh, you, mean, you mean eat them, do you, or just kill them? <laughs> I mean, he needs to shed the blood properly when he kills the rat. He needs a yeah, reason for that. Uh, just, just remember to yeah, take care of their carcasses appropriately. <laughs> Is there any advocate for black sausage? <laughs> yes. Okay. We have, we have we have a we have a German present in our group today, okay. and, um, and yep, he's he's been um, hanging around Christchurch. He was a volunteer at Christchurch for quite some time in the past, oh. been doing some research in our library. And um, I saw him. Yes, and uh, and European um, diet, as well as sometimes in the British Isles and Ireland, does actually consume um, blood. In, in, in various um, products. Uh, so anyone also of the people of Israel or the strangers who sojourns among them who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten that shall pour out its blood and cover it with the earth. Now, here's an interesting thing. Okay? So there's this, this hunting idea. We're actually away from the, the, the Mishkan. Okay? We're out in the fields. Uh, we're hunting for food. We've slain our animal, and now there's a, another thing we have to do. Multi, can you describe, like, what do the rabbis make of this rule? Yes. It's called kisu adam, meaning covering the blood. So, like, someone 
who does the shehitar like the proper kosher slaughtering he should open a hole bring the animal there slaughter it make a hole in the on the ground and the blood will go there then when he is done with the animal he needs to cover the blood again in that case he will be covering the blood from both sides according to halakha and it's called the kisui adam it's actually one of the uh, 313 commandments. It's very important. And the rabbis in Talmud and also in other Hasidic rabbinic books are debating about it. So it's called Kisu Adam, Be'afar, covering the blood with dust. And also in Rosh Hashanah praise, we say to God, even today because of the Hak, we say, we say the Avinu prayer, and we tell him, you know, please have mercy on us because we are dust. And also on Ashwet, they, they do the same thing. So you see that blood has life, and we are created by, with dust. So there's a connection there, too. That the body goes back to dust. The blood goes back to dust. Everything goes back to dust. So. Marty, what is, what is the Hebrew expression again? Kisu Adam. Kisu Adam Be'afar. Meaning covering the blood with dust. Yeah. It, uh, it harkens from the... the the book of Genesis, where God says to Adam, from dust you came and from, and from dust you shall return. That uh, life is in the blood. We came from the earth and we'll actually go back to the earth. And so there's an appropriate um, form. So hunters, we, we uh, put the blood and cover it in the earth. Then, of course, they will probably bring back the carcass back to the tent of meeting and get close to God. And also in the, in the modern kashrut rule of all blood uh, goes to the earth. Now, for those that might not know, and, uh, and it's okay if, uh, if you don't, uh, in those the traditional churches, um, once we have actually consecrated wine for the purpose of having communion, communion what, are we, what do we have to do with it? Does anyone know? Drink it. Drink it. Right, drink so sometimes you have to drink it. And sometimes you drink it all at the front, but sometimes there's a bit too much. Pour and sometimes it, and they don't. So then what do you do with it? Does anyone know? Don't you pour it into the earth? Correct. You, and also any of the consecrated bread. It, once that you can't be used for any other purpose, right? It's been set aside purely just for this, for this, this, this service, this worship time. Um, and after that, you can't just use it stum. You can't take it to a... You know, BYO restaurant and have it with your steak dinner. Um, you actually put it on the earth, and usually there's usually a spot um, of each church where they actually actually put it all. And um, anyone who works in what they call the altar guild—that is, the people who attend the altar—normally know where this is. This is in a traditional church. I don't know what others do. And um, for Christchurch, that's actually what we do. We have a special spot as well where. It goes and it goes back to the earth. And, it, and it, the hint, the remez, the shoresh, uh, comes from this, this, this idea, these, these books where um, um, it's, it's holy, it's very important, uh, life is sacred, it belongs to the Lord, and it's not to be used for inappropriate purposes. And thus it goes back to the earth. Teresa? Forgive me if, if you've already said this, but I don't think I've heard it today. I, I heard a teaching many years ago um, about the word Adam and taking it apart. You can see the link with dam, blood, and mm -hmm. Adama, 
earth. And of course, the wow. Aleph is a link with God. Wow. Very good, Teresa. Thank you. Excellent. Yes. <laughs> that was Dwight Pryor who was teaching that. Yeah, a long time ago. I think it's brilliant. Okay. So for those that um, might not have understood what we just said, then I'll do, I'll do it again. So the word Adam, the word Adam, Adam, has is made up of, of, of several words, or you can use the letters to make other to make words included. So Adam has the word dam in it, which is blood, and Adama is the is the word for for dust, okay, or earth, ground. And so you can see that blood, ground are connected in a man, which of, and also what's also connected to a man. The soul, the nefesh. So nefesh is connected to the blood. The blood has to go back to the earth. It comes from the root. So the root from the root, you can expand to these different words like library, right. librarian, and all that stuff. Right. Excellent. Thanks, Teresa, for pointing that out. I completely forgot. Well done, um, Dwight Pryor, who uh, mentioned that. Yeah. Wonderful yeah. teacher. Wonderful teacher of mm -hmm. blessed memory. All right. Okay. So and, and once again. In verse 14, the Lord says, For the life of every creature is in its blood. Its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, You shall not eat the blood of, of any creature, doesn't matter what it is, okay, for, uh, for the life of every creature is in its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. There's this um, strong prohibition uh, against keeping these kinds of people within the camp. Now, cutting people off and sending people away from the community, that's not something we always really like doing, so they aren't talking about it. Although even Paul himself did mention in some of his epistles, look, these guys are so bad, you've got to expel them from the community. They're, you know, uh, bad seeds. And, uh, uh, and in some cases he even said um, that obscure verse, I release you to Satan. Oh, my gosh, whatever the heck that means. <laughs> but um, it it's, can be quite powerful, and it should, um, should be a ward to stop people from doing it. Every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts. So now we get coming across an animal or a carcass, freshly dead, maybe not so freshly dead, uh, you know, whatever, roadkill, something, that's actually permissible to eat. Okay, um, What can you do with it? And uh, the, the question here is, he, whether he's a native or a sojourner, you'll wash his clothes, bathe himself in water, and he'll be unclean until the evening. Then he shall be clean. So eating an animal that has been killed by another animal makes you unclean. Even touching it makes you Correct. unclean. Correct. Yes, that's right. Yeah. So obviously it's not something you, have, you want to go out and do. However, if you were dead set hungry, you would do that to not protect your life but you would still be considered unclean and then you would have a ritual uh bath to um to to make yourself clean so it just goes to show that the sort of old holiness code there's a there's a holy aspect to, to all life and we live in a world that has absolutely no respect for life mm. and they don't see anything holy and we're constantly um particularly abortion laws Yes. And, who just got, who just is it Colombia or Argentina? I don't remember just accepted abortion. I don't remember just recently they were like they were like so cheering that on. Um one country just yeah, they I think in Latin America, I'm not sure. 
Yeah. And you know what, you know, what's remind, you know, another thing, Aaron, about the, the, the thing about life is, you know, war is not something that God, God obviously wants when the people of Israel went in and, and the Lord said, destroy those seven Canaanite nations. It's because by them living there, it posed a greater threat than having them live. So it's not that right that God, I mean, go, God waits until the last minute before bringing judgment. Many times he's merciful. And um, I'm just thinking right now um, what's happening, how much blood is being shed in Ukraine and, 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 yeah. and oh, oh gosh. And we have God to keep is, praying for them and, and may the Lord have mercy. All right, brothers and sisters, thank you for uh, the opportunity to study again. And um, did you finish the chapter? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> I know that's that's right up your alley, isn't it, Mordecai? One chapter a day. You know? <laughs> welcome to the Ashkenazi world. I know, I know, but it welcome, was it welcome. was it was a smaller chapter, and it was it was linked around only one or two different different themes. Blood belongs always to the Lord. It has come from the earth. It goes back to the earth. We have to make sure that we always treat animals and humans. Okay, both at the same time with um, utmost uh, respect and holiness. And we can use animals for a variety of things, but we must never misuse animals. And uh, we have a great opportunity to, however we approach these animals, to also make sure this is an honoring thing to the Lord. And uh, so Israel was hopefully formed and ready to be able to reflect that when they got into the land of Israel. That, um, uh, there would always be an opportunity to bless the Lord for the food that we eat and uh, eat things in, in, in the appropriate fashion. Thank you for listening. Our sermons and Bible studies are on all your favorite podcasting platforms, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and more. Sermons can also be found on YouTube. Follow us on Facebook for alerts on live streams. If you are blessed by these teachings, please prayerfully consider giving toward the work of Christchurch. Visit ChristchurchJerusalem.org. Blessings from the City of the Great King. <laughs>